Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is Paul's charge or his, his admonition to the elders at the church in Ephesus. He's, he's leaving them now, and so this is his parting song, his parting words to them. So he said, take heed there, take heed, watch over the flock as shepherds, shepherds should spend time with their sheep, uh, shepherds should smell like sheep, somebody said. You should smell like sheep if you're a shepherd, which means you spend time with them. And uh, they, they protect the flock of God, which we're all sheep. I'm a sheep, you're a sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd. So pastors are under shepherds. <laughs> but he says, take heed and watch over the flock because the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. No man can take that position to himself. The Holy Ghost has to appoint that and to feed the church of God with the word of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Imagine yourself, maybe you're up in Alaska and you're out in the, in the, really on the frontier in the wilderness and you're walking through a snowy wooded area and imagine yourself being surrounded by wolves. You might see one at first out of the corner of your eye over here and it startles you and scares you and then you see another wolf and then you, you, you start thinking, what am I going to do? And you start walking a little bit farther and uh, you see another wolf and then the next thing you know, you're surrounded by wolves. Wouldn't that be terrifying? Uh, if you, I love to watch the documentaries about wildlife you know, and they always throw out the, the imaginary, you know, 1.6 billion years ago. But overlooking that stuff, it's just fascinating. This is God's creation. But man, some of it's terrifying. After the fall, those things turned dangerous and carnivorous. Now, that's what Paul was saying. When, when I leave you, grievous wolves are going to enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He says they're even going to come... From among the flock, they weren't truly saved. False teachers, he's describing, also of your own selves, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn. Listen to the ministry that Paul had, his preaching and teaching ministry, to warn Every one night and day with tears. But Paul said, I've got to go. The best thing I can do with you is leave the authority of the words of God with you. Because the word of God, he says in verse 32, I commend this to you, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You see what Paul is saying to the elders it's not a light-hearted, flippant thing. He's not getting together and, and uh, joking around with them and palling around with them and 
No, he's warning them. He says, when I leave, the devil is going to attack. And you need to take the word of God. It's your sword to defend yourselves. And yeah, protect you from the Judaizers. It's one of those false teachers. And the Gnostics. And, and uh, they started right away, man, corrupting the word of God. Corrupting the teachers, uh, the teachings. So this is a message tonight on the voice of God. What is the voice of God like? Let's learn about it tonight from the word of God. Let's go ahead and bow and ask for the Lord's help. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your help now. We ask that you would please uh, direct me through this message. Bless us, Lord, as a church. Build us up. Strengthen us. Help us to, Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to have a good time when we come together for church, to be blessed and and touched uh, deeply by the love of God and as it's a manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, to think about those things. And, and Lord, just to, to have a wonderful time together. But Lord, help us also to have a sense of the, the seriousness of what we're about here and what we're doing. We're at the end of the church age, Lord, and the church has been ravaged and torn apart. In many cases, local congregations just torn apart through false teaching things that have been started here and there out on foreign missionary fields, a good work has been started, and then grievous wolves enter in and tear it up. Lord, they'll enter in here, they'll enter into our homes, into our families. God, I pray that you'd protect us. Help us tonight just to get a sense of the seriousness, the tone of your voice, to know it when we hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you an outline tonight that my brother Ben gave to me when I was just, I just committed my life to the Lord and had just gotten into church and just really said to the Lord, I'm, I'm sick of the old John. I've come to the end of myself and I'm turning my life over to you. And when I did that, I, I started going to Calvary Baptist Church in Zanesville, Ohio. And my brother at the time, he's older than me by several years. He's 47 now, I think. And I'm 42. He's, he's uh, older than me. But uh, my brother was teaching and preaching on Wednesday nights. He's a very brilliant man, uh, a reader, and that's uh, putting it mildly. Very intelligent. Uh, he... he it's just a, he's a fantastic Bible teacher. Um, and I remember just, you know, just sitting there and just, it's my brother anyways, you know, but just thinking, man, every time I sit down on Wednesday night with these guys, I'm always getting something, writing down notes on my Bible. And one of the messages my brother gave was this message right here. The voice of God, what is it like? The first point is that the voice of God is an urgent, an urgent voice. You know, Paul had a great sense of urgency in his ministry. He had a great sense of foresight too, knowing what was going to happen. Paul was there and he says, I was there with you night and day. He would go from house to house. And what does it say about him? He said, 
I was pleading with you. I was weeping. Weeping over this. Have you ever known a preacher to be a weeping preacher? To stand in the pulpit and just be in tears over just how great and glorious God is? Or be in tears and pleading with with people to turn their lives over to the Lord? To repent of things that are going to hurt them? Or just being in tears, just jealous for the glory of God and knowing that the church is, is backslid on God and not as close to the Lord as what they should be. I've known some preachers like that to be in tears. I've known uh, George Griffiths. He's one of the ones that always comes to my mind. He would weep when he preached the first camp I ever went to. And I heard this man and I said to myself, this man loves the Lord and this man loves these kids. And that's why he's so successful with them, I think. And I'd, I'd listen to my brother teach and preach, and he always got so serious. And he would weep in his teaching, and he, was, he could move you with this. And, and right off the bat, I've, I've gotten the sense that preaching is a very serious thing because, because of the urgency of the matter. Paul said, as soon as I leave, these grievous wolves are going to come in. I learned something about when the, the Berlin Wall came down, you, you remember back in the 80s, uh, in the early 90s, when the wall of communism came down and they became a democracy in Ukraine. And what I've heard about that is that the churches in Ukraine were actually doing very well, and in Russia, under communism. They were underground, you understand. They had to hide and meet in secret. They wouldn't have the privilege of beating on a piano and everybody singing out loud, man. You had to be quiet. But they they were doing very well. Some cases a little more secretive than others. You understand that. And they say this. They say their doctrine was very pure. They were very biblical churches. But then when the wall came down, some of the leaders who had a better understanding of what was going to happen, uh, were thankful, no doubt, for the freedoms that they were going to, to have now. But, but they said that they knew that ministries were going to come from America and they were going to come to the Ukraine and they were going to start to teach their false teachings of the health and wealth gospel. And that's exactly what happened because they didn't know a whole lot over there in Ukraine, but they were biblical and they were sound. And the devil brought in his false ministers and started to preach a false gospel. And they said it, it tore up the churches. And so they would have ministers come in and have conferences to identify the false teachers from America so that when they came to the Ukraine churches, the leadership and the people would know who to watch out for. And what to watch out for. Grievous wolves entering in. That's just one of them. The health and wealth gospel. There is a sense of urgency. Why? Because we're dealing with the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And so Paul, throughout his whole life, when, when he prayed on the road to Damascus, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He didn't stop praying that. He kept praying that. Everywhere the Lord wanted him to go, he would go. Whatever the Lord wanted him to do, he would do it, and he would do it right now, not tomorrow. You know? There's a sense of urgency with what we do. If you need to be saved, 
You need to get saved right now. Behold, now is the accepted time. I'm talking about right now. Come down and say, I'm lost. I know it, and I've been putting it off, and I need to get saved. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow, as they say, is the devil's day. Today is God's day. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There's a sense of urgency in the voice of God. I was watching a documentary called Above and Beyond, and it was about Bruce Sundland's survival and escape from Nazi occupation in Belgium after his B-17 bomber plane was uh, shot down by Nazi fighter pilots. He escaped in Belgium, which was under communist rule. He escaped with the aid of an underground network, and he fled to occupied France. This man, Bruce Sundlin, he went on from there to spy on the Germans with an outfit called OSS, which later would become the CIA. You know what happened? After the, after the Japs bombed the Oahu Island, after the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, and then four days later, Hitler declaring war on the U.S., Bruce was just a college student enjoying the relaxed college life, you know, and all the, the good things that come along with it, enjoying that time in his life. But when that happened, you know what he did? He started packing his bags. And he started getting ready. He was one of the men that the government trained to be a pilot because they knew something like this was probably going to happen and they needed to be ready. And so there weren't very many pilots. They needed many more than what they had. But he was in the first wave that was trained and deployed. And he was trained in the B-17 bomber. When that happened, when he saw what happened to his country, he packed his bags, got on a bus, and headed out. A sense of urgency. Now, that's a Jewish-American man fighting for our, for our country. How much greater is the cause of Christ and the cause of the gospel? Amen. The voice of God is an urgent voice. And there have been lost people with a real sense of urgency. And sadly, in the church, it's like the church has just gone to sleep, man. It's like we're just hitting the snooze bar we probably don't know what that is anymore. It's like hitting that button on your phone and snoozing it for another five minutes. We're asleep on God. No sense of urgency. But the voice of God is an urgent voice. And I'll tell you what, the people in hell tonight, they're urgent about the matter. They're probably like that rich man who found himself in hell, in torments, saying, Father Abraham, please send somebody to go up and to talk. I have five brothers and they're not saved. They're going to come to this awful burning hell. Would you tell him to go and to tell them that they better turn before they burn? Sense of urgency. You know what Father Abraham said? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. You understand if you got this, you're responsible. You're responsible before a holy God saying you've got what you need. You've had it in this country for over 200 years. You've got Moses and the prophets. Yeah, but if one would come back from the dead, 
If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe even if one came back and said, I went to hell, I went to hell and I came back. They wouldn't believe. You know why? It's the preached word of God when it's preached with a sense of urgency from somebody who believes it. And as a person responds to the power of the gospel, the voice of God is an urgent voice. That's, that's all I'm trying to say tonight. And it's an urgent voice. It's an urgent, sober voice. Would you look at Matthew chapter 22 quickly with me? Matthew 22. It's an urgent, sober voice. Sometimes I think as a preacher... Um, I have a way to be, I'm really serious when I preach, and pensive, and I told Beth, I said, if there was such a thing as a spirit animal, and there's not, but if there was such a thing as having your own spirit animal, my spirit animal would be the porcupine, (laughs) because I have a way of just making people uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. I said, honey, why don't more people like me? (laughs) But I'm just... I'm, I'm serious about what I'm doing. This isn't a game to me. Right. Now, you've got to listen to me week after week, so I try to bring a little bit of humor every once in a while, but, you know, it's not a game. This isn't a take it or leave it. I'm not asking you to try Jesus out, you know. I, I want to be sober about this because I believe that the voice of God is sober. Matthew 22 and verse uh, 15 Now, these are the Pharisees coming to mess with Jesus and try to catch him in his words. And they took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. They're trying to puff him up. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not. But Jesus, listen to what the Holy Spirit says about this encounter. Jesus perceived their wickedness. Man, that's sobering. And said, why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? (laughs) Jesus, he spoke like no other man. No other man ever spoke like Jesus (laughs) spoke. Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Man, he was honest. Now, he spoke like that to religious fakers. He didn't speak like that to the woman who was taken in adultery. He wouldn't dare break the bruised reed. He wouldn't break it. He was gentle with repentant sinners. But now with religious hypocrites, he was harsh. He says, show me the tribute money. Give me one of those coins. And they brought unto him a penny. You know, you can see these today if you look it up get in in an encyclopedia or get online. He said, bring me a penny. And he looked at that penny. And Jesus was such an amazing teacher. And uh, nobody ever beat him in an argument. And he said, let me see that thing. He said, look at it. Whose inscription's on here? And uh, they said, well, Caesar's. So So he was saying, well, that belongs to Caesar then, doesn't it? Is that his image, Caesar's? Yeah. Well, that belongs to Caesar, doesn't it? Whose image do you have on you? God's image. So he says, render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. But render unto God that which is God's. 
you're made in the image of God, and you belong to him, and he is jealous for your worship. You see, but it, it was a sober thing, a very sobering thing. And they, they asked him again, not this time the Pharisees, but the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in heaven or angels or anything like that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But they came and they said, now if so many people marry this woman and so many brothers have her, then in the resurrection, whose who's, uh, wife is she? And Jesus, you know what he says to her? Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. That was his answer to their question. You're messing up right now because you don't, you don't even know the scriptures or the power of God. To me, that's sobering. Those are sobering words. They were just playing games. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're, they're saying how many, you know, if this man married her, then he died, and then his brother married her, he died, and his other brother married <laughs> Who would she be married to in the resurrection? Jesus just sobered things up just like that. He said, you're ignorant of the scriptures, and you don't know the power. Can you imagine? I mean... He, he sobered them up right now. And, and look what happened. When, when he said that, verse 33, when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrines. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the, the Sadducees to silence, no more joking around, he put them to silence. Then they were gathered together and they said, well, let's try to get a lawyer to trick him. <laughs> it was a sobering thing to come into contact with Jesus Sometimes I, I've felt self-conscious about my mannerisms and things like that. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think God's Word is very... You know, when I get into God's Word, well, the night I got saved. When my brother showed me Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, and told me I was going to end up in the lake of fire if I kept on the path I was on. Hey, man, that, that lit a fire under me. It was a sense of urgency, and man, this is a sobering message. I sat there choosing between life and death, and I thought if I turn now, it's going to change how I live. It's going to change my plans this weekend and next weekend. It was a sobering message. And when I read the Bible, I'm just talking about just the overall tone of my experience. As I say to God, I pray, God, speak to me from your word. And when I'm reading the Bible, sometimes I, I do get a laugh from the scriptures. But more times than not, it's just a very sobering, serious time Amen. when I'm in the Word of God. Amen? And a, and a wonderful time, a sweet time. But it's serious. I was, uh, I was told to cut out all showmanship immediately upon entering the pulpit down there at the Alford Institute for Biblical Preaching down in Memphis, Tennessee. They used to have preachers in there. Um, Adrian Rogers was one that would visit and speak often, and they would go to his church. And um, John Phillips, the commentary writer, he would go there. And, of course, Stephen Alford, he's the one that founded it. Stephen Alford was a man that was intense in his preaching. And man, it wasn't dry and boring, not at all. But it was encountering God and His Word and an anointed preacher, spirit-filled preacher, that when you heard Him preach, 
God met with you. Almighty God. That's a sobering thing. And they say, just cut out all that showmanship. Junk it. Get rid of it. It won't help you to reach people. What will help you, they say, is an anointed preaching ministry. If God is pleased with your private devotional life, he'll bless your ministry. If your private devotional life uh, isn't happening, and if, if your family life is a mess, God will not be pleased with you, and he won't bless your ministry. And you, It's just that simple. Well, that's a sobering thought when I think about that. It's an urgent, sober voice, a voice. Would you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20? 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Um, I think sometimes we get... I think sometimes we get... Maybe ashamed is too strong... When we think about bringing visitors into church, we think, you know, it's so different <laughs> from anything else. And um, we almost just hesitate to invite somebody to church because we think, you know, what if the preacher says something, you know? And, or what if they don't like the hymns singing? Or what if it's just this or that or how would it affect my friendship? And so we don't invite people to church. Can I say, uh, I've, I've felt that way before about my church because I just thought, I, you know, it's an old-fashioned church, so on and so forth. But can I say this? That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of fear. That is man uh, thinking. That's uh, reason. That's, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. Church should feel different than anything else. It should sound different. And that's a good thing for a lot of people. When, when, when people come into church, now there's some of them, they're not going to accept it. But it's not going to have anything to do with your music. It's not going to have anything to do with the personality of the preacher. I'm talking about whether people really accept it and whether it changes their lives and they're truly born again. To the glory of God. It has nothing to do really with the music or with what Bible version you're using. That doesn't matter. How good looking the preacher is, you know, or how ugly, you know, the, uh, the, the, the song leader might be. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. I, I know people come into church, they, the service starts off great, and they're like, I like this place, and I like that guy up there leading the singing. And it might change when I get up there. I don't know if I like him. But you know what? You know what I've found? With my friend, at least, the guys I know, they've had enough of the world, okay? And they come into church, and they, they kind of like that it's not like the world, and they like that the music sounds different because hymns are different than anything going out there, right? And here's something I've found out. When you get saved and you get close to the Lord, you start kind of liking them hymns, Amen. you know? There's nothing wrong with the hymns. The churches that have the great big, you know, auditoriums and the dimmed lights and the, all the expensive instruments and the well-trained musicians and all this kind of stuff, 
and the uh, flamboyant or charismatic speakers, I mean that in the sense of their personality. Those churches, you know what's happening to those young people when they graduate? 90% are gone, just like that, out the door, not coming back. That's what they say. It's not fixing the problem. So therefore, it's not the solution. What I'm trying to say, an urgent, sober voice. When people come to church, what we need to be concerned about is what they hear. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You say, where's the voice in there? We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you. What does it mean to beseech? To plead with somebody verbally. As though God did plead with you verbally through us or by us. That means we're, we're a mouthpiece for God. To tell them about Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. If it weren't for Jesus, let's just go home. If it weren't for Jesus, my life doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter how I treat you or how you treat me or what I do with the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. Because if Jesus ain't real, that Bible ain't true. Because he's the center of that thing. But listen, it's what they hear. It's the message. And when you think about your voice for God, be an urgent, sober voice. If you have a chance to say something to somebody, give them the word of God. Give them the gospel. Let me wrap it up. We are a voice for God. Do we have, do we have the liberty to choose what we're going to say from God's message to mankind? Can we use some parts and leave the other parts out? No. We need to preach hell sweet, or hell hot and heaven sweet. Right? We need to preach the whole counsel of God. I can't leave anything out. If it's pertinent to the times, it's got to be addressed. I don't don't want to waste my time preaching about music and worship styles. I just really think it's a waste of time. But I say in that, I say, what is pleasing to God? And if you in your heart are offering this up to the Lord for his enjoyment and his pleasure, well, go ahead. But we're going to do things the way we do here, and we're going to keep on doing that. We're doing everything the Bible tells us to do. But when people come, they need to hear a voice. And let's just say that uh, the pastor were to be arrested for preaching a message like I preached this morning. I'm, I'm not, I didn't come to church with a toothbrush in my pocket just in case I get arrested. I'm not trying to. But there's going to come a time when that's hate speech. Yeah. And it's under penalty of the law if you say those kind of things. There's going to come a time. Now let's just say I, I was arrested. What, what do you do? Reporters are going to come around. You're a voice for God. You're an urgent, sober voice for God. The church is. What do you say to the reporters? Don't say very much. Can I just say that? Whatever you say, if you try to defend me or defend the church, whatever you say, they will twist it. They won't put your whole statement in there. They'll twist it and they'll use only the part that's incriminating. Right? They won't present the truth. So they'll twist it. So don't say anything. Say no comment. If you're cornered and, or if the Lord says, give them this verse. 
you could give them the gospel. Tell them, well, the pastor preaches that all have sinned. All includes everybody. And because of that, we're in trouble with God, and there's a penalty for sin. But Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what kind of sin you've committed. It can all be forgiven, the sin you're talking about, or, or maybe the sins that we're guilty of. You know? and, uh, but Jesus died for those sins. You know, and just give them the gospel, because that's what they need. So be a voice for God, be an urgent, sober voice. But if that happens, uh, they're just going to twist it, and they're going to use it to shame us and to shame the church. But we are a voice, lastly, just look at this last one, John 7, 7, protesting, protesting against a wicked world. Somebody said, well, God called me to just preach the love of God and to preach the gospel. God never called any man to simply preach the love of God and to preach the gospel. If God called a man to preach, he called him to preach the whole counsel of God. Amen. Not to just preach one thing. John chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, Jesus said, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast, and it goes on. Chapter 15, verse 17. Jesus testified that the world was evil. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the Apostle John said. Chapter 15, verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Jesus said that the world is going to hate his disciples. We can't get around. You can't be friends with everybody. Friendship with the world is what? Enmity against God. So we're a sober, urgent, sober voice of protest that this world is evil. And we do this all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I try to live by is if what I said offends you and I gave you the word of God, that's between you and the Lord. If the way I said it offends you, then that might be on me, okay? Because I'm supposed to give the truth in love. I'm supposed to be gentle. But your message is going to offend people. We just need to be okay with that. And we need to support a church and not be ashamed of a church. You have people in the world today that are proud of sinful, disgusting things. And we're ashamed of the gospel. I heard a, uh, this is the last thing I'll give you. I know this doesn't go along with the urgent soberness, but I've been sober for long enough, so allow me to give you this joke. I heard a comedian say, what does Easter eggs have to do 
with Jesus or the resurrection. And then he said, well, we can hide them. And you know what? That borders on being blasphemous, but really that's a, that's a jab against Christians. What do Easter eggs have to do with Jesus? And he said, well, we can hide them. You get it? That's what Christians do. We hide Jesus. We hide in our churches. Don't do that. Imagine yourself in hell. Imagine yourself like the rich man. You know what you'd say? You'd say, Father Abraham, send somebody to warn him. Well, every time you hand out a gospel track, you, you could just say, God loves you. I want you to read this. Would you read this? Every time you do that, you're warning people. Every time you invite somebody to church, say, would you come to church with me? We'll go out afterwards. We'll go to McClure's. And... Now nah, I'm, I'm busy. I got something going on. Okay, well, maybe another time. Every time you do that, you're warning them. 